We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Aitman is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up, throws for the end zone. Olsen, touchdown! Brian Burns to the house. And it is caught for the touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. He pounded on three. One, two, three. He pounded Fans, welcome back to another edition of the Roar Podcast on Blue Wire. John Ellis, uh, freshly vaccinated here, uh, round one, back with you. Billy Marshall here alongside. We're going to dive into a lot of things going on here from the past week. We've been catching up on everything that's going on for the Panthers, of course, the, the NFL draft coming up, a lot to discuss. Billy, how you doing, man? Doing well. Um, sorry, I was just finishing up a big gulp of water there. Sorry for the delay. Um, but yeah, no, I'm doing pretty good. And I was gulping water right then too, so we're both hydrated. Uh, yeah, so uh, glad you're well. And I mean, let's get right to it. Sam Darnold is a Carolina Panther, Billy. I know you've been a little bit quiet on the issue here on Twitter. I've you know, laid out some of my feelings on what this trade means for the team. Uh, but again, a lot is to be determined because Sam – to me is an incomplete product, but I just wanted to get your thoughts. I know a lot of people out there want to get your opinion initially on what Carolina did in acquiring Sam Darnold from the New York Jets. Um, yeah, I thought it was an interesting move. I have really, I, I'm not like totally against it, but I'm also like not really supporting it hundred percent either. Right. I'm sort of like in between. Uh, I have obviously you're going to hear, 
um, the echo chamber that is football Twitter be vehemently against it because of how Darnold has performed the past few years. But I was texting, well, our, you know, my good friend, Scott, good friend of yours too. Yep. And oh yeah. He's been a Darnold fan for a while and, um, and he obviously liked the move, but uh, it's just in general, some of the conversations we've had in the past and some of the ones that he's had on, on his video channel and also on Twitter when he was active is a lot of circumstance around how the quarterback position is perceived isn't just strictly through um, what you can see through the data and through the production as well. Right. Uh, and, and so like when I hear like the discourse surrounding all the negatives around Darnold and how he's played and performed thus far, I, um, I definitely agree with it. I can see it on film too. There's, he's not really like a, um, he hasn't been performing as well as you'd probably like it. Number three overall pick to perform. And that's why he, the Jets traded him. Um, the Jets wouldn't have won two games if they didn't feel that way. Uh, but I also think the circumstance that he was around is a bigger, like everyone tries to mention it, but then they pivot immediately to, you know, his production and how he's performed. Because I, I think that the circumstance surrounding it is um, a lot bigger of the conversation than people really want to admit. Um, so at, at the same time, there's still things that he does that I don't really care for and like, and he's made some boneheaded plays and, and I don't know, it, it, it's going to be, um, it's going to be a big dose of reality to see how this goes down. But I, I think that each side, so I'm, maybe I'm giving you a non-answer and maybe I'm not really like uh, yeah. giving you what the people want, which is which side of the fence I fall. I, I fall squarely in the middle. I, I just, I really feel like um, there's just like a lot of people who were, you know, they know how to evaluate quarterbacks. They They do a really good job with the numbers too. And, uh, I mean, they got burned once when Josh Allen turned out to be good. Um, I just think like there needs to be some sort of patience kind of extode because this could also be the next Josh Rosen, which is yeah. pretty similar to the compensation uh, that the Dolphins gave up to get Rosen. The Panthers, uh, same thing, pretty similar compensation they gave up to get uh, Darnold. Yeah. I talked to a source within the organization who told me why, right when it happened, Monday around 4.15, text him and, and he was excited he said yes didn't have to give up the farm like we would have for Watson he's young uh, also mentioned that the organization liked him coming out and th this individual has been there for a while so he would know um, so yeah I mean I think it, it to me I, the answer you gave you know that's one thing we pride ourselves here on is not giving hot takes just for the sake of it because I think we could formulate a take to move the needle but honestly Billy I think I'm right there with you that it's to be determined this is very much an experimental trade uh, there, there's still a lot to figure out with Sam, his production. I mean, you can look at the numbers, 45 touchdowns, 39 picks. Uh, he's under 60% completion. Uh, obviously, a lot of what he does well, I just I, I spent some time looking at his tape last week. And obviously, I haven't looked at every snap, but he does a lot of good things out of the pocket, out of structure. When things break down, I like what he does. Obviously, there's that one throw uh, that he made against the Niners that everybody's in love with. But outside of that, he's done some good things. Within the pocket, he tends to be a little bit messy with his footwork, it looks like. Um, that, that's some of the same criticism I've heard from other experts as well. But again, I think a change of environment, getting Robbie Anderson back in the fold, who seems excited about it, to be honest. You got DJ Moore, Christian McCaffrey. I think it's an opportunity for him to reinvigorate what was once a promising 
young career because he still is very young. And you got Joe Brady right there. Who knows how long Joe Brady's going to be here, though, but still – Milk Joe Brady for all you can if you're Carolina right now. Let's see if he can correct some of this stuff that's gone wrong with Darnold, put him in a system that works, and then wherever Joe Brady heads from there, maybe Sam can carry that momentum over, sort of like Cam Newton did with Chudzinski into Mike Shula. We'll have to see. But I, I do like his size. I think he's got some good traits, and I liked him a lot coming out of USC. So, I mean, we'll see. I, I think the price was decent. And, Billy, honestly, get your thoughts on this. The contract – very much leaves it open for them to to still look at quarterback in the draft, I think. I don't know if they will. I don't know if they should, but it still doesn't rule it out. I don't think it rules it out this year. Um, certainly not next year either. I, I just feel like this move signals that they are going to um, address the other areas of their roster that still need to be supplemented, whether it's secondary, offensive line, another weapon i don't know they can go either direction i'm not really going to complain about it but i think that this move especially the fact that they gave up um you know the premium picks which are in 2022 really gives you an idea that they really they realize that this roster still needs to be um still needs areas that need to be addressed right what did you think about the compensation were you were you all right with it just at first glance i mean it's a six yeah a couple next year. I, I do like that it wasn't more than a six this year. Um, what were your thoughts on the comp package? So this is probably an area where I would agree with a lot of the people who are down in the trade. I do think the compensation was a lot. Again, I, I don't know what type of position um, they were negotiating from. It's very difficult for me on the outside to judge that. Right. And I feel like you can grade the trade in the moment based on the compensation that they gave up. Now, certainly if he performs at an all pro level, then the hindsight of giving that up is worth it. But we don't know that. I think you, I think people get a little bit too hung up on um, draft grades and free agency grades. And I think we talked about this on the last episode. I think free agency is a little different just because of um, the relationships and the circumstances required. But I think with trades and especially draft grades that you can have a very good sense of, uh, the direction and what you're giving up for a known commodity in this case, which is Sam Darnold. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a little too much. I would have, I would not have gone given up more than a third, uh, but they did. And it's 2022. So uh, I think it gives them an opportunity to trade back and acquire 2022 second round pick. Maybe you're trading back to like the 13 to 15 range. I think we discussed that on the previous episode. So right. it, it just gives you options and flexibility for next year. Um, I, again, I think the compensation that they give up was a little too much, but I mean, it's, it's tough to really know what position of leverage they really had. It is tough. I mean, you hear multiple reports that some people say they were bidding against themselves. Others have mentioned a couple of other teams. I saw Albright mention uh, Denver was possibly in the mix, but they weren't willing to go that far with it. So you never know. I mean, you're right. In the moment, it's hard to really put a grade on the compensation. But, um, yeah, I mean, we'll see. It, it's, it's a chance for him, like I said, with, with some tools that he does have to, to get with Joe Brady and to see what he can do. Because the, the Bridgewater experiment failed. I mean, it was, you know, it is what it is. The contract, I, I said it from day one, just didn't, didn't click with me, didn't feel right. Uh, I, I'm willing to raise my hand and say there's a lot of things I get wrong, including my eval on Cam Newton's arm. I mean, obviously, there's some things going on there that, that I didn't foresee 
being quite the issue that they turned out to be. And who knows, he might regenerate. His legs are fine. But, but back to the Bridgewater, uh, it puts Carolina in an interesting spot now, Billy, because now there's talk of, of teams actively possibly being interested in Teddy. At least that's what Rap Sheet is talking about. Uh, it's, it's funny because we get stuck in this vortex of watching our own players you know, from Carolina, and, and we grade them and we over-critique them at times. But these other teams, you know, it's the same thing that's happened with Sam. A lot of Jets fans are saying, well, fine, take Sam, go, go on, have it. A lot of Panthers fans are excited. There are still teams out there that, that presumably value Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, what are your thoughts on possible fits there? Because it does look like they're going to try to make a deal to get Teddy moved out. Yeah, they can try to make the deal as much as they want, but it's just they're going to release him when it's all said and done. I think so. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's the same situation with Cam Newton last year. Um, I, I don't know how much money they're willing to eat on his guaranteed contract. Maybe they eat 8 to 9 to $10 million, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I'm fairly confident that given what they – given the position they're in, and the, again, we talk about a position of leverage and strength, they're not really in that position right now. If you're a team like Denver who might be interested, why not just wait for Bridgewater to be cut, especially before the draft? Like why would you want to give up – like if Denver goes into the draft, potentially drafting a quarterback in the first, second, third round, if you don't get your guy, then maybe you oh. can just wait for Carolina. Like what? 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 I, I just don't see any scenario where Bridgewater is on the team. So it's like, are you really just gonna hold him just to hold him? No, you're gonna probably cut him because his salary isn't uh, really at an acceptable level to be a backup because you gave up this type of compensation for Donald and you yeah. guaranteed his fifth year. That means that he's going to be your starter. No questions asked. And I don't see Bridgewater, um, you know, really buying into just being a good team sport, nor should he. No, I, nor should he No, And he shouldn't. He's been voted the good guy of the year by the media. And I get that, but that's based on his participation with the media that has nothing to do with how he would perceive a backup role. And I think Teddy, in his own mind, would like to continue to pursue something bigger than that. But we'll see. You know, it, the teams that get mentioned with this, they don't make sense to me. The two that come to mind are Denver. I mean, they already have Drew Locke, by the way. They have an investment there. That doesn't make a lot of sense. And it, to your point, why not just wait to see what you could get in terms of you know, Bridgewater when he's released at some point. And then Washington, I've heard them come up, but they've already traded for Kyle Allen. <laughs> they do have – They signed Fitzpatrick. They got Fitzpatrick, too. Uh, they, they, they honestly could, could very well buy a quarterback in the draft. I mean, I've seen scenarios in some of these mocks that I actually respect that, that see them trading up perhaps in front of Carolina to grab one of these QBs. So I just don't know if Teddy Bridgewater I, – I, you guys around the league talk to each other, and, you know, you watch the film. If we can see it, certainly they can see it. You have to really trust – a real miraculous sort of turnaround from a confidence standpoint to trade for Teddy Bridgewater. Cause I think last year, I'm not, I'm not trying to get the guy's head because I don't know what he's thinking, but he didn't play like a confident quarterback last year. So, and he was given a lot of opportunities with the weapons uh, with the Joe Brady system. Uh, and he just didn't pass the test. That's what I said last year, Billy down the stretch, a lot of fans were clamoring for this team to tank. And I understand that I get it, but that was Bridgewater's audition, man to really not only solidify himself here, but to show other teams out there, hey, you know, if Carolina wants to go in another direction, here's my show kicks, here's my tape. And it was, it was not very impressive. So 
I, I just think that's where teams are right now in, in looking at Bridgewater, but we shall see. Um, another free agent signing, A.J. Uh, Boye. I think I got that right. <laughs> the team put out a video sort of uh, helping us to pronounce his last name. Uh, longtime corner. He's about to turn the corner at 30, but he's got some skills. He's got some length. He had a good year back in 17. What does Billy Marshall think about A.J. Boye coming into 2021 opposite Dante Jackson? Yeah, it's similar to a lot of their free agent signings. Um, they're just looking to fill out the roster, and I don't see Boye being anything more than, like, you know, an average player like most of their offseason signings, um, which is fine. You're not really looking to, uh, you know, build your roster out with blue-chip players in free agency. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's certainly good depth. And, um, I, I mean, you also – you you just always want to have the cornerback room um, – you know, with decent amount of bodies in there just so you can rotate and um, give guys opportunities to mix and match in certain areas, whether it's in the slot or in the outside. Um, now, I will say that Boye only played like seven games last year, and he's obviously uh, going to miss the first two games this year. So, right. I mean, this, again, is just a an area that they're filling uh, before the draft. It shouldn't absolutely not preclude them from addressing this position high in the draft either. So. Yeah. Agreed. Um, I think, you know, and that's one thing I said, a lot of the takes that were coming out, well, this solves Carolina's problem at corner. And not quite, <laughs> not quite. I think it, it does give them, like you said, a reliable veteran on the opposite side who has some good skills and, has a good history of getting the ball, and that's always a good thing to have. Um, I think he's an upgrade over Russell Douglas. I, I think yeah, I would you, agree with that. You can say there's some things there that, that you like better, but I guess we'll turn to the draft now. I mean, this is all we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks, Billy, is this draft. It's what we've been talking about in large part for the last couple of months uh, with all these pro days, and you know, we've seen the best quarterbacks out there throw at this point. Uh, we, we other than Trevor Lawrence, obviously, who's coming back from injury and uh, going to weddings and spending time at the Masters. But I think Trevor's comfortable enough with his spot with Jacksonville. I don't think there's anything sliding there. Outside of Trevor, there's still a lot of question marks. You've got, uh, honestly, Zach Wilson, who, who seems to be the guy at two, but I'm still not completely sold that the Jets won't take fields. And then you start looking down the board. The Carol Carolina's in a position now where one of these guys will likely fall to them. Pitts, Slater, Stowell, if they're very lucky. Um, and then Trey Lance could be sitting right there, along with the Sertan. Uh, they, they've got some options there, Billy. As we sit right now, I know you've had a chance to kind of look at some of the big boards out there, and, and I'm sure you do your own analysis as well, your own grading. How do you view Carolina at number eight right now if they stay there? And then we can talk about trade back options after that. I, I mean, given where they are now, I think it's a pretty decent position uh, because they have addressed the quarterback, um, whatever you think of him. So, you know, I just get back to your first point. I think the Jets general manager pretty much confirmed that they're taking Wilson on a press conference this week. Um, I think Steve Young said something about like how the Jets are definitely taking Wilson and Steve Young is a BYU alum and uh, the Jets general manager said, yeah, Steve is pretty plugged into BYU. So that's kind of like um, okay. some sort of a confirmation. And I've also seen reports, I don't know if you've seen them, that Justin Fields and Trey Lance are having additional pro days. 
Um, yep. I don't know what's up with that. Maybe it's the teams like San Francisco, Atlanta, uh, Denver, uh, whoever else, New England even, uh, potentially getting another look at those guys. It's kind of right. like a workaround because they're not doing those private workouts this year um, for whatever reason. I think that's a mistake. Uh, yeah. We'll leave that for another day. Um, so, yeah. So I think, yeah, they're definitely in a good position. Um, you know, for me, I kind of, I would take pits if I had the option of one of the three guys that you just mentioned. Um, and then I'd probably lean, I would have, this might be a surprise to some people. I would probably have Slater um, rated higher than uh, Sewell. Tell us what you like about Slater over Sewell. Now, here's what I've heard about Sewell. Obviously, the, the arm length, the height, the, the reach issue. I know Paul Alexander's working with all these guys, and I've heard him talk about all these prospects. One thing I've heard from some scouts is there's a little bit of concern about his height, about his reach. But Slater, I mean, I'm with you. His versatility <laughs> is interesting. What, 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 and they're both great players, obviously. I'm sure you share that opinion. Where do you see Slater being a little higher in Carolina's priority list over a uh, Panay Sewell, or at least on your list? Well, to be 100% clear, Sewell actually has longer arms than Slater. Okay. So um, 33 and a quarter for Sewell and then 33 for Slater, which, again, I think that's probably like the baseline, the minimum, 33. Yep. You don't want to be below that. Uh, but, yeah, no, I just think uh, Slater is a much better athlete. And I think that really matters. Like my two top offensive tackles last year were Werfs and uh, the guy from Louisville who went to the Jets, Becton. And yeah. those guys were just like freaky athletes. And they were really good last year. So Werfs was arguably like the best right tackle in the NFL. Uh, and he was a rookie. And now I'm not saying Slater matches up to Werfs by any stretch of imagination. Um, but again, I think that you watch that game against Chase Young in 2019. Oh, yes. And he was just throwing him down. And he was dominant, yeah. Him and, I mean, we know Chase Young, again, number two overall pick, and he turned out to be a really good at red rusher. And, you he know, got introduced to Chase Young last December, Billy. We saw him firsthand. He was a beast. Um, I think Slater's dad also played in the NBA. Um, wow. I don't know. I don't know who his dad is. I, I'm just, I'm reading this report that says that his dad was like a journeyman in the NBA. So he has like, um, you know, a lot of uh, his, yeah, his dad, Reggie Slater played college basketball at Wyoming. I'm reading this report here from Dane Bruegel, whose reports, um, scouting reports are really good. Um, but yeah, no, I just think like the athleticism, number one, the versatility that you mentioned and that I didn't even mention the versatility you did. And, Supposedly, that's something that Matt Rule and uh, really values um, oh, yeah. because they signed the two offensive linemen this year, Irving and Elfline, uh, due to their versatility and their ability to um, line up a different spot. So I think that is going to matter because let's just go back last year where you had a situation where you know a left guard is, gets injured, then you could potentially like slide Slater in and then bring your backup left tackle, like a Trent Scott or Greg Little, whoever it is, and to play that left tackle. With those two guys, they can't really play left guard or right guard or anywhere else where Slater, he does give you that versatility. Now, obviously, I would prefer a natural left tackle, um, but I think that uh, given you know his athleticism, his – I mean, he's a really smart guy um, from what I'm reading too. So uh, I think that he would be a you know, very sound – choice and i think that he would um you know his ability to play in zone or power schemes i think it's um 
I think I would give him the edge over Sewell. Interesting. Yeah. Now I talked to a league source who, who was there at Oregon's pro day and he, you know, obviously he said Pat Meyer was there. Did you, did, were you posted to, was Pat Meyer there for, uh, to evaluate Slater? Yes. Well, yeah, I think I saw you post that. So I mean, obviously Pat's gotten a chance wisely. So to get a firsthand look at each of these guys, and I think you're, you're right. I like Darisaw as well. I think that gets me back to my next point. We talked about potential trade backs. Now, if Carolina does that, I think a couple of the teams to look for are Washington and New England to potentially move up to eight. Uh, I don't know what your thoughts are on teams that might be willing to you know, move with Carolina if Carolina's looking in that direction. And if Carolina's moving back to, to that range, who are some players that come to mind in your view? Yeah, no, Darisaw is certainly one guy, and Pat Meyer, and I think another offensive line coach were at his pro day uh, down in Blacksburg. Um, he's Darisaw, I, I think, is a really good um, – not even just him, the other guy from Oklahoma State, Jenkins. Um, him yep. or Darisaw um, are very viable trade-back candidates. So to get to your original question, who do I think could trade back? I think um, you mentioned it. I think New England is one. I think that maybe even – Los Angeles Chargers at 12 or 13 um, because they have a pretty stacked roster and they're looking for a left tackle too. So if they really value um, Sewell or um, I'm not sure if you've been pronouncing right, Sewell or Sewell, whatever, Sewell. I have heard it pronounced so many ways. I just go with Sewell, but (laughs) I'm probably getting it wrong too. Yeah. So let's just assume that one of the offensive tackles, Sewell or Slater, um, has gone by pick eight and it's one of the two. And you still have some other players that you have graded in a similar range. Like for all we know, they could have Darisaw and um, Slater or Sewell graded very close to each other. So they feel like, and I think this is what Scott Fitter said at his first press conference, is that um, when you have like a tier of players graded similarly, you will trade back um, and accumulate a few more picks or a couple more picks and then um, also get another player who's graded very um, on the same level as the guy you just traded down from. So Los Angeles, again, they're looking for that left tackle. Um, already mentioned the Patriots. Washington, yes, that is another one. And certainly they have a relationship here with the front office. There was a, I don't know if you saw this picture floating around. I think it was at Ohio State. It was at a pro day. Mm-hmm. I think it was Ohio State. There was a photo of Marty and Matt Rule having a um, very cordial conversation. Oh. Uh-huh. It looked, yeah, they had some laughs with each other. And I think like, it was like one of those videos, you know, they do after the pro day where it kind of has like a, you know, some pretty cool music over the guys working out. And there was a picture. Teflon Marty still out there evaluating after all these years, man. Yeah. So there was a, I think there was like showing all the coach, the personnel and they showed like the Mike Tomlins and the other coaches. And then they uh, zoomed into Matt Rule having a convo with uh, Marty Herney. Um, yeah. So I'm gonna, gonna I'm going to assume that there is still a professional working relationship between the two. And right. obviously, when the Panthers played the uh, Washington football team this year, uh, the you know, the Panthers they did the tribute to Rivera and uh, a lot of the things before the game. So yeah, uh, yeah I think that um, Washington uh, and New England uh, those are two options. And Pat Stewart spent some time with the Patriots front office too. So I think those two uh, make the most sense. But, yeah, who knows? There might be another team um, that we're not even thinking of could make that splash. And I'm, that's why I threw out the Chargers as a potential option because they did trade up last year, um, not for Herbert, but at the back end of the first round, they traded back into the first round to get a Kenneth Murray, uh, the linebacker. So um, just throwing those couple of names out there. Um, 
as options. But yeah, I'm, I'm also a fan like you of uh, Darisaw. I think him or Jenkins would be uh, very good options if they do trade back. Jenkins is a monster. He's 6'6", 320. I've also heard he can play guard. Uh, so he's got some of that versatility as well. He's, he obviously would be a huge guard inside at 6'6". Uh, and I just with Darisaw, I go back to <clears throat> once again, our, our friend Paul Alexander, who we, we talk with on Twitter once in a while. He's great. Coach Paul Alex on Twitter, if you guys want to follow somebody who knows about offensive line play, Billy and I can give the stamp of approval on Paul. Um, he was very clear about Darisol. Kind of, he did, I think, uh, I'm just paraphrasing here, he walked into a room and said, you know, this is a guy who can play left tackle from day one, just his frame, the way he's built. <clears throat> so, again, that's a guy, if, if you can trade back and assure yourself that one of those two guys we mentioned would be available in the middle of the teens, might be worth it. Pick up some picks, sort of recoup your losses from that Darnold trade. It's very much a possibility because Scott Fitter or Billy, you know, he comes from Seattle. They did that a lot back there. Yeah, and I'm just also just trying to connect the dots here. They've been going around the country on so many, like, different universities at these pro days. They obviously coached a bunch of guys at the Senior Bowl. So yeah. just trying to get it inside the mind of Matt Rule where he's like – I like this guy, I like this guy, I really like what he did, I like this guy did. So I'm just kind of like coming up with potential options to, you know, maybe figure out how they can uh, work some of their needs and uh, into the roster. Now, again, I will say in the unlikely scenario that Pitts does fall to eight, I am rushing that card into the podium and sending that in. I don't think that happens because I'm pretty confident that he's going to go like no later than the Dolphins. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I would 100% take Pitts and Pitts since, uh, he's also from Philadelphia. He, I remember there was a, I was reading something after his pro day about how him and DJ Moore were like, um, I mean, they were, I don't know what they call it in down where you're from, but like the all conference team in Philadelphia, like they were the all like, um, city team or whatever. Uh, And again, we know the connection with Matt rule. He tried to recruit him at temple and, I'm sure that you've been having a lot of fun with those pictures that you saw from the pro day with the red eyes that you put on. I love it. I love it. I, I, I love that Matt is in the mix. I, I, it's, it's one of the things I was real skeptical about this Matt rule hire, but when it, it, I think he proved that he can coach in this league last year. And I also love the fact that, you know, he's mixed it up with these college programs for years now, Billy, and it gives him, I think an edge during this time of year. I, I he's right in the mix. He understands uh, the psyche of a lot of these kids. He's, he's recruited many of them. Um, and it, it does, I think, I don't know if it gives them an edge in terms of long-term performance, but at least in the moment, grading these guys out, building relationships that you've talked about, uh, talking with other coaches. I, I heard somebody mention this as well, that uh, I, one analyst, I gosh, I forget who it is, but he said if, if teams aren't talking with coaches about their prospects right now, they're foolish. And I totally agree that there's some teams that I, I heard this mentioned in this Nick Saban Belichick documentary that I watched recently on HBO. I'm sure you've seen it or heard about it, but you know, Saban was like flabbergasted. He's like, I had some guys, you know, some coaches in the NFL, some personnel people never reach out to me about players they picked from my team. And it just never ceases to amaze me. But I'm sure that rule given his, you know, his close connections to a lot of these college coaches, is going to be very much in the conversation in terms of, you know, wanting to know, especially now without the combine, without the ability to meet with these guys, take them to dinner with the COVID environment, you got to rely on these conversations with coaches to get a real good sense of 
not only the type of player you're getting, but the type of person you're getting as well. So I think it's really important. Um, and I agree, Pitts, you know, look, a lot of people have him going to Atlanta, but there's also speculation that the first four picks could be quarterbacks. So I yeah. think if he gets down to number five, what if, uh, you know, Jamar Chase? That makes sense for them. And then you got Miami. You know, what if they go with Smith? What if they go with Waddle? Uh, you just never know. And Caroline sits there at eight. If Pitts does slip, I'm with you. Run that card up as fast as you can. Get the pick in because he is a freak. I saw one rep of him uh, on the perimeter. I, I, I forget who posted it. I'm getting My name's blanket here. Maybe it was Eric Crocker. I'm forgetting who. But it was a, a perimeter rep he had against uh, J.C. Horn. And those two guys were just tangling. And at the end of the, the top of the route, Pitts was just dominating him. And that's one of the best corners in the draft. So, I mean, it's the same thing that Sertan, too. Yeah. Yeah. He, he actually, he actually like beats Sertan with his feet off the line as if he's like, you know, a 10 year wide receiver. So, yeah. I mean, just take the tight end position off his name and put wide receiver. Like, yeah. he's, Someone made this comparison. I, I, I don't know who, I, but I've seen it. Maybe I didn't, not on Twitter, maybe on Reddit or somewhere. Um, he reminds me a lot of Mike Evans. Um, yeah. And I, just looking at the body type and the way they play and the way they separate. Like if you're taking, if you're getting Mike Evans at pick eight, yeah, I, I would say that's a very good investment. Yeah. I mean, you look at the production with Pitts as well. It's been outstanding. And then the 6'6", 240 frame. Uh, you're right. I mean, Mike Evans, I don't think he's quite tipping into 240. Maybe he is, but he moves like, you know, he, he moves gracefully for that size. And he's rare he's, athleticism. Rare. He's, he's Julius Peppers in the red zone, basically with his wingspan. And you get him down there with Dan Arnold. My goodness, you've got two guys at 6'6 six, six plus that, you know, can, can, can reach, can, can get up for there and just make things happen. In the red zone, I keep thinking about the red zone because that's where this team has struggled so much. Uh, I'm just looking at clips of him right now where he's just he, he's just so much bigger than everybody else down there. It's just it's a fascinating guy to watch. Imagine this. Imagine if you had him on the outside and you had DJ Moore in the slot and then Anderson on the outside too. And then you obviously you put Arnold as a traditional um, wide tight end. I think that just gives you so many options for your yeah. passing game and just your offense in general because – now you're most likely going to have you know, defenses come out and nickel and probably have their linebackers um, step away from the box. Then you'd run the ball. You give it to McCaffrey. Then you have a light box, which McCaffrey has been awesome at light boxes uh, throughout his career. You pound them that way. And then if they try to bring more heavy sets in and try to load the box, you'll play action. You beat them over the top um, with more or um Anderson and maybe Pitts and Arnold can occupy the middle of the field. But I just think that this guy, uh, he's really special. And again, if I'm doing a mock today and if I'm saying like the best case scenario is four quarterbacks go first four picks. And then um, Cincinnati goes with the uh, uh, Jamar chase, or even uh, they go uh, offensive tackle. Cause I know that their offensive line coach, what their GM and their head coach are all at Oregon's pro day. Um, so if they take Sewell and, Miami takes Jamar Chase or one of the offensive weapons, whether it's Smith or Waddle. Right. I don't think that happens. I think Miami is most likely running to the podium taking pits before they take Chase or Smith. And then Detroit, they probably will take a receiver or I don't know what they're going to do. Um, but then you fall to eight. I think, I just think that's perfect. Yeah, I do too. 
I want to get your thoughts on this. It might necessarily be Carolina related. It could be. You never know where, where this, this individual will fall. But there's been so much talk about Mac Jones. I know you and I have had some initial thoughts on Mac. Um, I, I want to talk about it from a very fair perspective here because I, I, one thing I don't want to do is bash a guy just for the sake of it. These guys are all young. They're all working hard. Um, do, do you think the Mac 49ers thing is for real? Do you think it's actually going to happen? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, I will. I will say though that the reporting that I've read within the last week or so, I've been listening and watching a lot of different shows, whether it's ESPN or some of these podcasts where they get the big guests, like a Rich Eisen show or DP show or um, Albert Breer's podcast. Initially, it seemed like a lot of the reporters, like Schefter, were set on 100%. It's Mac Jones, no questions asked. Now I'm reading and seeing a lot of pivots from that. They said that Mac Jones is a leader in the clubhouse right now, but uh, there could be a situation where it's Fields or Lance going to San Francisco. What I will say is this, and this is a thing that kind of like that I'm, that I've been kind of sitting on and not a lot of people are realizing it. No one, no one knew about the trade until it happened. They kept it quiet. Like the 49ers, the Dolphins, the Eagles, they all kept it quiet. So why, why are people all of a sudden like just so confident that this is going to be their pick when no reporter or anyone threw out the, the idea that they would move up all the way to number three overall? And that's, that's a just, great point, Billy. That's a so great point. To me, it signals that a team, a very good front office uh, like the San Francisco where they keep leaks very, 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 very – uh, quiet. They don't right. throw stuff out there, and, and it's it's very difficult for people to kind of get understand where it's coming from. I, I remember the same thing happened with the Garoppolo trade. No one saw that coming either. Yeah. Um, but then it happened, I, and, and so for me, it's a lot of projection right now. People are just trying to, um, you know, write the point home that because this guy, you know, played for Shanahan, that this is who he wants. I don't think so. I just think that I think Fields Lamps are. I mean, if they take Jones, they take him. I, I'm just a little skeptical that they do. You know, Mac has some value. Mac does some things that, that, that is, you know, very much to liking of a guy like Kyle Shanahan in terms of processing, in terms of the ability to not only, you know, get the ball out quick, be accurate, but, but also, you know, processing that run game as well. I think there's some things that, that, that Mac does very well. I just, don't, I just don't know if he's worth a top three pick, though, and that's where I come back to. I just look at his tape and I'm like – man, is this the guy you want to invest your future in when you've got, you know, to me, a guy like Fields, who's my number two, um, has just so much athleticism, so much ability to, to put the ball downfield vertically. I don't know, but it tweaks their own. I mean, everybody's got their own flavor here. Uh, one more thing before we break huddle here and, and, and call it a day. Quarterbacks are always something we talk about in the first block of the draft, but there's some guys that fascinate me on the back end you got Kellen Mond, who's getting a little bit of buzz now. He's got some accuracy issues, but great athleticism, and he's played a ton of football under Jimbo Fisher, who usually spits out NFL quarterbacks. Uh, you've got Kyle Trask, who's got, you know, not, not necessarily good athleticism, but he's built like a Drew Bledsoe, and he can put the ball in some good spots. Uh, this kid from Stanford, I guess Mills, I've heard some good things about him. Are there any quarterbacks you're seeing in, in the maybe the third, fourth round 
I know Carolina got into that trap with Will Greer. It's, it's sort of a dangerous thing maybe at this point. But are there quarterbacks there you think it's worth taking a flyer on if you're Carolina towards that part of the draft? I don't think they sh- they should be doing that. Yeah. Um, let's just look at their roster, especially in the first two days. I mean, if they want to take a flyer on a guy in a th- you know, fourth or fifth round, whatever, I'm not going to like complain about that. But right. I-, I really think like their first uh, three rounds should be uh, prioritizing guys who can make a difference for your football team in year one. And I don't see a quarterback doing that. I think if you um, address – three different areas if you trade back and you accumulate more the the more the better because um drafting is an inexact science and no matter how confident you are in your abilities you're most likely going to be wrong um so that's why i always um value trading back yeah but number one um offensive line no matter what they do in number eight or in the first round they still have to figure out um you know some positions even though i I think that they've spent a lot of money on offensive line this off season, just guaranteeing $27 million to three players. I think that's a pretty significant investment, even though one of them is a franchise tag. Uh, but then you have to look at the secondary. It's not just corner, it's safety too. Uh, I mean, they released Trey Boston. They haven't really replaced him. So that's again, another area. I think linebacker is passable for now. Um, but the same thing with defensive tackle, um, I'm not sure how they feel about their current group. I mean, clearly they felt great if they're going to release Zach Kerr. Um, And I do think that, I mean, we're having fun with the Pitts discussion, but I really do think that um, a skill player should be in play if they don't take one the first round, whether it's second or third round. I mean, right right now I just see two reliable pass catchers and that's Moore and Anderson. I I have nothing. I don't know how to feel about David Moore. Um, Dan Arnold, I think, is fine, but I, it's, I'm again. I, I don't. I have no. I have no idea how to feel about how he's going to take on a full time role in this offense. Right. Yeah, uh, for sure. so that's kind of like where I stand right now. No, 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 no lies there. No lies detected. I think there's a lot to to sort through. Yeah, there's some free agents still out there. Uh, Mitchell Schwartz. You know, you another offensive tackle who is sitting. Russell Okung still sitting out there. Uh, Villanueva. So, obviously, if they maybe perhaps go pits, they find a way to bring in one of these veteran left tackles. I know they already signed Irving, but I'm not certain they consider him a, you know, day one starter left tackle. Maybe they do. Rick Wagner's out there. You've got some veteran offensive tackles still on the market. You could probably snag for a one-year deal. So, there's that side of it, too. Post-draft, there'll probably be some pretty decent names still available out there. I, I also think that this is a deep tackle class. Yes. Let's just assume you're, if you're not getting one of the top three or four guys, I'm going to assume that's Sewell, Slater, Darrison, and Jenkins. You look in the second round, there's still a lot of really talented players that could be available, whether it's uh, Cosme from Texas, Eichenberg is a good one from Notre Dame, uh, Radunes, who they coach at the North Dakota State, the Senior Bowl, uh, yeah. Christensen, who was uh, giving Zach Wilson the cleanest pockets in the world. Um, and you have a local guy, Deante Smith, you, you can potentially get in a third round uh, uh, from East Carolina. So, I mean, I, I think that the, this group is pretty underrated as far as their depth. Now, of course, everyone's going to point to, oh, well, uh, they tried to draft a second round tackle and Greg Little. Yes, but they drafted a player I didn't really think was very good. <laughs> so um, it, it's a little different now. They have a new regime and picking their players. So I think that if they do go with – you know, whether it's a Pitts or one of the cornerbacks at number eight, I think they can pivot just fine to finding an offensive lineman in the second and third round. 
All right, Billy. Good talk, man. Anything else before we uh, break for the week? Uh, no, I've, that's pretty much it on my end. Enjoyed it as always, my friend. We'll, uh, of course, you and I will stay in touch this week, maybe sneak in one more pod uh, for the weekend. But it's a bit of an odd schedule for us, guys. We appreciate you being patient. You know, we've uh, got a lot to cover before the draft. We'll be trying to do a few more of these before draft night. And then, uh, obviously, post-draft, we'll have a big one for you to uh, go through every pick and give you analysis. For Billy Marshall, John Ellis, thanks again, guys, for listening to the Roar Podcast right here on Blue Wire. See you next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.